0: alcoholic my name is sheila hi Hi everybody hi people on zoom um i am gonna set my timer i think so i think it's 40 minutes so if i can make it that long okay so like i said i'm an alcoholic my name is sheila i'm grateful to be here and to be sober and see so many familiar faces so well, I want to thank my friends for coming here to support me and, um, and Lauren to come and be my 10 minute speaker. Um, this is the third time that uh, Lauren and I have spoken here together. And um, I don't remember the first time, how long ago it was, but the last time we spoke here was um, the first Zoom speaker meeting when the pandemic hit. So that was interesting. And now this is on the hybrid form. So we've done in-person Zoom and hybrid. So, um, and who knows what will happen next, but um, the plan for me is gonna to be to stay sober and to suit up and show up and, and be a service. And I wanna thank Anna for asking us to speak and to be here and Melody for your service at this meeting and lots of other meetings. Um, And um, before we forget, I want to welcome our newcomer. I'm glad that you're here and uh, congratulate Shane on nine months. Um, Not sure if that's uh, odd or if that's God. Um, And I'll maybe explain later, but. and also Nicolette, congratulations on your five years. Um, that's quite a milestone. So I'm really happy for you and that um, I've gotten to see you, you know, walk this path. We've got to walk this together along the way and I'm really happy for you. Um, so um, uh, just to get kind of started or, you know, I was thinking about like what I would share tonight. And I got kind of nervous and I'm like, why am I nervous? Cause all I need to do is to share my experience, strength and hope. And, uh, and uh, my best friend is Mary is here because um, she knows my story. And so she'll keep me honest. And um, so um, I grew up in Los Alamitos. I was born at the tail end of the Vietnam war. Um, my birthday is April the 11th, 1964. And I'm the youngest of three girls. And um, I grew up in a really hard-working Jewish family. And um, my parents are very conservative. Um, they were actually born during the depression. They're 83. They live right up the street from here. They're doing really well. And um, some of my earliest memories are of um watching tv with my dad and i would get it i was getting annoyed i can remember because he'd be flipping the channel back and forth from um star trek um in the news and we watched a lot of vietnam on the news and i remember when i was in kindergarten um i sold pow bracelets i was always worried i was very worried um, I was worried about what was going to happen to the people in Vietnam. I was worried about the POWs. I was worried about when my parents were going to die. Um, and there was this cartoon called Chicken Little. And, um, you know, and he would run, you know, run all around like crazy. Oh, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. And like I related to that because kind of that was kind of like my world. The sky was falling. And I didn't have any control over that. Um, So I worried a lot and my family um, didn't know what to do with me. They said, um, you look just like us, but we don't know where you came from. My mom would (laughs) say I was kind of hatched, you know, and um, and they, you know, and they said, oh, Sheila's doing her hobby again. She's crying. And, uh, you know, it was just life was overwhelming for me. And I had a lot of um, uh, (laughs) psychosomatic issues. So like, um, I had all these physical manifestations, you know, at a really young age, I had migraines and I had uh, chronic, uh, nightmares, uh, very disturbing nightmares. They asked me if I was watching or reading a lot of Stephen King and stuff. And I wasn't, but I had, you know, um, some pretty gnarly recurring nightmares and, um, and I had ulcers, you know, and they'd take me to doctors and blah, blah, blah. Anyways. So, moving forward, uh, my oldest sister and I, um, I have a sister that's five and a half years older than me, and we kind of look like twins, and we had a lot of fun together, and I got introduced at a pretty young age um, to, um, actually, was my dad's really good friend. We were at this, uh, my parents have property in a place called Springville. We were at the ranch, one of his best friends. Thought it would be a good idea to have shots of tequila with me and so i was 11 and we were doing shots of tequila and um this is the first time i could drink to to really drink and uh i can remember we had this siamese cat named torah and torah was um meowing and Tor- and torah had roosters in his ears and the roosters were going cock doodle doo and i just remember looking around the room and no one seemed to really notice the roosters but me <laughs> And um, I had no idea until like later that I was hallucinating and that was just the beginning of me and tequila. And every time I drank tequila, I have some, you know I have some pretty crazy um, tequila stories, but, but the thing that happened is the next morning when I woke up, I thought that was really cool. And I felt good and I felt this like a pressure cooker relief of some steam, you know? And I just like, that was going to be my thing, you know, so it wasn't like a drink every day after that. But, um, but I definitely, you know, started drinking a little bit more. And my dad was, you know, my dad was really cool. And he is really cool. And he would drink beer with me. And I was supposed to be the boy when I, um, when I was born, I was supposed to be a boy. I wasn't, I wasn't a boy, but um, I got to connect with my dad, you know, I got we got to drink beer together. And um and do ranch stuff together and animal stuff together and it was a lot of fun, you know? And um I got introduced to um, you know, some other issues, um, definitely smoking pot. I got introduced to cocaine at an early age. And you know what? I just felt really comfortable doing just about anything. You know, if it was gonna make me feel a little different at you know, I didn't have any sense of like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that, or I should be careful. Um, as I got further into my drinking, using um, it got to the point like if there was a bottle that said, you know, don't drink and take this, I thought, oh, this is going to be good. You know, <laughs> um, I just never had like any kind of uh, healthy fear of um, of mixing things. Um, so anyways, I grew up in Los Alamitos. We moved to Laguna Hills and um, just right up the street from here in 1980. And I was, I graduated, I think I was the second graduating class at Laguna Hills High School, graduated in 1982, um, went to UCI pre-med and um uh, biological sciences. I love science. And um, but when I was in high school, you know, I started doing other, um, you know, I really like snorting and coke. And that was my drug of choice. And um, so I graduated like 13th in my class at Laguna Hills. So the, I guess my bottom line is I knew I knew how to work hard And I've always worked, but I also knew how to party hard. So, like, um, I always had this kind of dual life. And, um, you know, I started working at a young age and had a lot of responsibility. And, um, and then at night, you know, I would drink and I would use and it was a lot of fun until it started to not get to be fun. And um in 1985, I, um, well I, I just, you know, I had an interesting childhood too. Both of my sisters left at 15. I stayed back with my parents. I started working for my parents at a really young age. And I, like I said, I was really responsible. And um, but I also managed some of my issues with my family, with my drinking and my using, And um, I could handle a lot of like stress or pressure or whatever, because I mean, they didn't know it, but I was like fueled, fueled with cocaine and alcohol and um, I was pretty numb and that worked for me for a long time. And um, when I was 21, um, I was a junior at UCI, I was smoking Coke, I was studying organic chemistry. I lived at home with a suicidal mom um, who also had a dual life and she would go to work and be all social and everything and then at home she would talk about wanting to die all the time and um you know so I kind of just felt like I was living this lie and I fueled myself with um with cocaine and alcohol and that's you know and that's kind of how I just like managed all those feelings and um in uh, 1985, I was with my boyfriend, and we were smart, smoke, smart smoking coke and drinking, and I was studying organic chemistry. I was supposed to take my dad to the airport in the morning, and I knew I needed to go to sleep, and it was like a million a.m. I don't know what time it was. I knew I needed to try and shut my head off, which was impossible, and I went into another room, and I heard this crash, and um, back in 85, we didn't have... Um, that kind of glass we had the kind of glass that like would shatter dangerously, not safely. And, um, so I heard this crash. I go into the bathroom, the boyfriend that I was with, um, overdosed, he was seizuring up. He fell into this glass, um, enclosure. There was glass everywhere, blood. Um, so I took all of our, um, all the cocaine that we had and I, I called nine one one cause he was seizuring and, um, Um, flushed all the coke down the toilet and the police and the firefighters came and they were really nice to me and I got in the ambulance with him and we went down to Mission Hospital Laguna Beach and um, he wound up being okay Um, and then later um, his family and him were really mad at me because they got a hospital bill because they resuscitated him and you know I just remember though when when i was in the hospital with him and they were working on him in the emergency room i went into the bathroom um and i looked in the mirror and like i said the police and firefighters were really nice to me and i had coke caked all over my nose i was about 20 pounds lighter than i am right now i was green my complexion was just green and i I was 21 years old and i remember looking in the mirror and thinking um I had better plans for my life. Like, this is not where I thought I was gonna be at 21. And um, so I did that prayer that, you know, maybe some of you are familiar with, Um, God, get me out of this and I swear I won't do it again. And um, within a week I had picked up where I had left off and I was doing it again and doing it again. And uh, I never had a belief in a God or a higher power. Um, I thought people that had religion were weak. And, um, so, you know, about a week after that whole incident, when I swore I wouldn't do it again, I was right back to doing what I was doing and, um, things didn't go well. I broke up with that boyfriend and, um, I would go through some periods of time where I would swear off cocaine, but, um, but I always drank and eventually I knew I was going to pick up again. And, um, I met this guy and we partied really well together. I mean, we like drank really great together. We went skiing. We just did all this stuff. And then um, next thing I knew, um, I had gotten pregnant. That wasn't planned. And so I did stop drinking when I figured out I was pregnant. And um, but the thing is, is um, and I I stopped drinking and I stopped using. And as soon as I had my oldest daughter um, and I was in the hospital, the pediatrician said, you know, alcohol or beer is really good for your for breast milk so i told john go to costco and get a case of beer so you know as soon as i got home with that baby you know um so i was i was drinking um i was drinking and i and i picked up using right away and then um i got pregnant again right away and so i stopped drinking and using and then I had um, a miscarriage at about, um, I was about four months pregnant I had a miscarriage and that really, um, really shook me up, you know? And the doctor said, you should give your body a break and you should just get healthy and take care of yourself and don't have any babies for a while. And um, typical fashion for me is I don't listen to anybody. So I got pregnant immediately. Um, mm-hmm. Hence Lauren. <laughs> and um, didn't drink and didn't use during that pregnancy. But again, as soon as, you know, and it wasn't that hard because I knew I wasn't done. I mean, I, I knew I was gonna drink again. I knew I was gonna use again. So it really wasn't that hard for me to not drink and use during my pregnancies. And um, um so as soon as I had her, I kind of picked up where I left off and I had my kids at a young age. Um, I worked, you know, we, like I said, we played hard, we partied hard. And, um, but you know, it started getting, it started getting overwhelming. Uh, we, we lived in this big house in Mission Viejo and we had nice cars and we would go to the river and we would go on trips, but I always had this double life. And, um, I'd be working this job and I had an important job and, um, that dealt with people's lives. And then I would go home and I would drink and I would use all night. And I could remember hearing, you know, that horrible sound of um, back in the day when you'd get newspapers and you could hear the newspaper. And I would think, I need to just get a little sleep before these kids get up and I start this day, you know, and just that panic. And I really felt like I was kind of on the hamster wheel. And the other thing I didn't share about in 1985, um, that same year with the boyfriend and the overdose and the suicidal mom, I was in a really bad car accident and I wasn't drinking, I was on my way to drink. Um, I was on my way home. I lived in Laguna Niguel, I was hit by a drunk driver and um, I had a pretty bad car accident. and I had a lot of problems with my jaw. I'd have some jaw surgeries. And so anyways, I had nine years of medical treatment because of this car accident. So when, when I fast forward, um, into my drinking and using, my kids were really young. They were like two and three years old and I had to have my second jaw surgery. And, um, I had been drinking and using, and they didn't want to, um, they didn't wanna wire my mouth shut because you already lose a lot of weight when, when you have to have your mouth wired shut. So they put screws in my jaw um, so I wouldn't have to have my mouth wired shut. And I, my kids were two and three and they were arguing about something and it was kind of like having a broken arm without a cast, having a broken jaw without it wired shut. And I accidentally moved it and had this um, metal, you know, just like metal shock through my face had to go to the doctor, um, and they had to wire in my mouth shut really tight, and I could just remember like trying to drink a uh, Bloody Mary, like the pepper would just block up the holes. It was so tight, and so I'm drinking, and I'm using, and I'm not able to eat food, and I was having to take stick a stick of syringe with food I would liquefy and stick it way back there to try and and uh, fueled myself, and I lost a lot of weight, and I got really sick. And I and I remember feeling like, you know, like I said, my kids were two and three, and I just remember thinking, I don't want to do this. Like this sucks. Like I I don't know how I can exist like this. Um, it you know, but whatever, I survived. Finally, I got to get my mouth unwired, you know. But but I was still drinking, and I was still using. And that prayer that went from God, I swear, you know, if you get me out of this mess, I swear I'll never do it again. Um, That prayer changed to God, if you let me live, I swear I'm not going to do it again. And I just remember, you know, um, I just remember all the cocaine and stuff I was ingesting and like heart palpitations and um, hyperventilating. You know, I was really sick. And I just, would swear I wouldn't do it again. And I had to do it again. I just had to, I couldn't stop. There was really no way out for me. And I remember that time in 1985 when I was with the guy that overdosed, I remember I'd be up in the middle of the night like playing um, solitaire, watching TV and there'd be commercials of the care unit. And I'd be thinking, God, I wonder if that works for them. And I'm like, never thought one time <laughs> that I had a problem or that there was any help for me. And if you had asked me at 30, where I was going to be at 40, I knew I was going to be dead. And that was just it. There was just no way out for me. And I don't exactly remember, um, how old I was. Uh, I had this thing. I had a girlfriend, uh, Tiffany, that was having a baby shower. And I did my, my typical fashion in the morning. I didn't get up and drink, but I would get up and do a line of Coke and my nose hurt really bad and it bled all the time. And had constant sinus infections and, uh, uh, no, my nose was bleeding really, really bad. And I packed a, a, the bottom line is, is I lost the cartilage in my nose. Um, and, um you know, I'm a Jew. I don't have, I don't have, I wasn't born with a Roman nose. I was born, (laughs) I had, you know, so I, I disintegrated all the cartilage in my nose and it was really a long, slow process of that coming out and a lot of bleeding. And I would just pack the Coke up in there and act like everything was okay and go on my way. And, um, what happened was through a series of events, um, the guy, the man that I was married to, and we have two children together, we drank and we used together. And, um, you know, we didn't have a healthy relationship. Um, we would drink and we would use, and he would disappear for a lot. And, um, I would take care of the kids and I would go to work and he was doing stuff that I didn't agree with, but it, it started, it started way before, um, we were really having problems. I just kind of like put up with it. And, it, and I had these resentments that were building up and building up. And um, I always kind of share about one of my favorite movies was uh, Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan. My favorite line was uh, revenge is a dish best served cold. And um, I remember at one, t- at one point I decided I was gonna get even with my husband um, for all the stuff that you know, I felt he was doing to me. And so I told him that um, the way that I was going to get even with him is I was going to sleep with um, our best friend, the drug dealer. And so um, I don't know that that's actually called cheating. If you tell someone this is what I'm going to (laughs) do, because I laid it out there And, and I did it and I did that, you know, and I proceeded to have this. Um, a rant, you know, I just proceeded to have this, like, I, don't, I wouldn't even call it an affair. I just proceeded to outwardly cheat on my husband, you know, and this is like disgusting in front of my in-laws that I care about in front of my parents that I care about in front of my children that I care about, you know, I proceeded to just do this crazy stuff. I literally just lost my mind and, um, I filed for divorce. And for whatever reason, I told the attorney um, everything the way we had been living, because I was really worried about us having a custody battle, which was ridiculous when I went back. (laughs) But I was really worried to have a custody battle. So I told this attorney everything that my husband and I had been doing. And she gave me this card. um, And she said the only way that she would take my $5,000 to retain her services if I went and saw this addictionist. And I took the card and I thought, well, that's ridiculous. I have no intention of doing that. And I left. Um, but I still planned on having her as my attorney. And I decided, you know, I better just kind of ease off the drinking and using while I'm gonna be going through this ugly stuff. And so um, I will I will never forget that was like on a Sunday or a Saturday. I flushed all my coke down the toilet and I decided that I was just going to drink like a beer a day. And that was a Saturday or a Sunday and come that Wednesday I was so sick and I couldn't get my my um, husband or ex-husband at the time, you know, whoever whoever made it to the bedroom first got the bedroom, the other one got the couch. So we were living in the same house. It was really unhealthy, you know, fighting with each other and um I just remember getting up on that Wednesday morning and trying to get my kids ready. And I was so sick and I called downstairs to uh, my ex and I said, I need you to help me with the kids. And he basically said, you know, screw you. And I just couldn't, I couldn't, I was so sick. So I called my parents. I said, I need you, I need your help. I need you to come over, I need help with the kids. So they came over and I told them the truth. I said, I'm sick. You know, I'm, I can't get the kids ready. I've been drinking. I've been using. I need your help. And um, they were not happy with me. And they helped me get the kids to school. And I was really, you know, I was really detoxing hard. And um, I happened to have that card of the addictionist. So they called him. They took me to him. I told him the truth. Next thing I knew, they drove me over. They wanted me in the hospital. I talked my way out of the hospital they brought me over to this outpatient rehab called the RAP Center, which is on 666 West Baker in Costa Mesa. And um, I wound up at this outpatient rehab and And I agreed to do 90 meetings in 90 days, ninety a 90 day outpatient rehab, like what the hell? So anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm working, I'm going to 90 meetings in 90 days, I'm going up to Costa Mesa all the time. They told me I had to get a sponsor. You know, this whole thing is like an accident. It really was an accident. I had no intention of getting sober. I wasn't an alcoholic. Um, I just like clearly overshot the mark and then I told on myself. So I made that commitment for 90 days and and I, I couldn't get out of it, you know, cause I had already told people. So I'm like, I'm just gonna do this for 90 days and I'm gonna drink again. Like, this is bullshit. These people are full of it. Um, I don't like them. They're lying. They're really not happy. They haven't been. So, you know, this is like a joke. So I did the 90 meetings in 90 days. I got the sponsor. And the funny thing is, is um, the way that I found my sponsor was at this meeting. um, I didn't share my sobriety date is February the 26th, 1996. So I'm coming uh, two months from today. I'll be 26 years sober. So I went to the, um, um, the YMCA. This this meeting used to be at the YMCA on Crown Valley in Laguna Niguel. And they had a um, they had an announcement, like a speaker, like 1-800-SPONSOR. Uh, 1-800 so I called this 1-800-SPONSOR and I called three women. One of them called me back. Cindy called me back. She became my sponsor for my first like three-ish years. And um, she got me working the steps and um you got me right into it and there were ironic things from the very beginning. She was a perfect sponsor for me in the beginning. And um super sweet lady. And and, um so we started working the steps together. And what happened when I got to my 90 days sober and they were gonna coin out of that rehab, um things suddenly got real to me and I didn't want my old shitty life back. So I was 90 days sober. I was 31 years old. My kids were six and seven. I was going through a divorce and I was $90,000 in debt. I wouldn't stop breaking out. My nose wouldn't stop bleeding. And, um, and I did not. I was terrified, suddenly terrified. I didn't want that old shitty life back. So um, I just kept doing what I was doing. I kept working the steps, going to meetings. And um, my friend, Steve, introduced me to H&I. I went to H&I meetings with him. I did H&I for 20 years. Um, and that was huge because I can remember about 15 months sober, and I shared the story a lot. Um, and Lauren had talked about it, like that soul sickness. You know, I, I was 15 months sober. I'd worked all the steps. I was being a service, and I still felt as, as low as snail snot. In my My second sponsor, Nancy, who was my sponsor for 17 years, um, you know, she just like called it like what it was. I just felt low. I just felt like I didn't deserve the air that I breathe. The things that I had done before I had gotten sober, even though I had worked the steps and made amends, you know, I just felt really, really dirty inside. And, um, so H and I just was like a life changer for me, all that service. Um, and my friend Becky, who's my sponsor now, we would do all kinds of panels at, um, I had a panel at James music, uh, the women's facility for five years. And I just go in and share my story and hear their story. And, um, that was like a life changer for me. And the other thing is, um, you know, I haven't done this thing perfectly. The only thing I've done perfectly is I haven't picked up a drink or a drug in almost 26 years. Um, I've done all kinds of crazy shit in recovery, uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. And I thought people just didn't want me to be happy. I 13th stepped a newcomer when I was four years sober and we got married and moved all of our four kids in together. And You know, we, we made it, we were married for 89 days. (laughs) And then me and my kids packed our backpacks and lived in my parents' beach apartment while we found somewhere else to live. Um, but we were all together. Um, so I told him that story, well, we're, we're home as long as we're all together. You know, that bullshit story (laughs) while we were camping for a while um you know and so my, i'm unfortunately for my kids they kind of grew up with me or i grew up with them um but we we made it and uh you know i i can't tell you how grateful i am um jen isn't here tonight but one of my sponsees jen the one that lauren shared about that was on the couch um you know i couldn't help i couldn't help my daughter who was suicidal and wanted to die and I had another daughter who had ran away and was on the streets for 18 months. And um, she left home right at 16. And while she was gone, and you know, one exploded and the other one imploded. And I was about six years sober and I was just going to a shit ton of meetings. you know. And I don't know, I didn't drink no matter what. I didn't drink no matter what. And I love the thing that Victor read, um, whatever that surprise reading was.
1: And it reminded me
0: about in the first step, I'm going to read out of the 12 and 12, page 23. It was obviously necessary to raise the bottom. The rest of us had hit to the point where it would hit them. By going back in our own drinking histories, we could show that years before we realized it, we were out of control, that our drinking even then was no mere habit, that it was indeed the beginning of a fatal progression. And, you know, I can, I love that part when I get to work with sponsees, Um, because when I do my first step um, and when I talk about it now, I can look back in my drinking history and I can see there were so many signs that I was an alcoholic before I knew I was an alcoholic and a drug addict. And, um, you know, alcoholism is alive and well. I'm definitely not cured. And um, Rick and I, I, I have a husband. We're um i'm on my fourth marriage i've been divorced three times i've been married to the same man twice now and um i feel like i feel like this time i feel like we're doing better this time and um so we're gonna go, we're planning a trip and we're gonna go to machu picchu in the end of june probably and um so a couple people have told us katie's mom uh beth told us and rick has a friend that told us um you get to chew coca tea or drink coca tea or something on the trail it does it's it's, there's science behind it so it's about like your red blood cells and it helps you with it like this and you know and i'm thinking to myself well it makes sense i should do that (laughs) and then i had a nightmare that you know i know we've been i've been thinking about it a lot and then i had this nightmare and i i I called myself out and I told Lauren and I told Rick about it. I had the nightmare after talking about the coca tea and thinking that, yeah, that would be a good idea that, um, that I was actually this whole 25 years I've been sober that I've actually been using, just periodically. Like every once in a while, I'll do a few lines here and there. And, um, and then I woke up and I'm like, I seriously didn't know if it was real or not. It was really scary. And, um, you know, so I told people about it. I called myself out and I, I you know, I can't do coca tea and <laughs> Machu Picchu, like it's not going to work for me, you know? So I've just, I've just really ruined some of that stuff, but, um, you know, but my point is like alcoholism is alive and well. And, um, you know, all I get, um, is a daily reprieve contingent upon the maintenance of my spiritual condition. Um, I'm really grateful. These last couple years, I have been able to get, um, closer in my 11th step with prayer and meditation. I have prayer warriors that we connect with each other every single day. And I feel like that has just been, um, a game changer in my recovery and how, um, the comfort level in my skin. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. And, uh, You know, and like I said, my best friend, Mary, um, we've walked through everything together, literally everything together. And um, I'm so glad that we've had that, you know, side by side, no matter what. And um, I have a beautiful, amazing sober life today. I have two gorgeous grandchildren that have never seen me drink. Um, I've really learned... um, through working the steps and the tools of the program, how to pause, how to slow myself down. Um, I have a really great relationship with my family today. And I can say I'm a really good mother, daughter, sister, friend, employee, you know, spouse, all these things. And the, everything I have is as a result of Alcoholics Anonymous and working the steps. And the other thing is that the steps have given me a connection to a higher power today that I never had before. And uh, I felt like I was always kind of searching and um, if it were not for Alcoholics Anonymous, I would have never found God and my connection and my belief and my faith. And um, I'm just forever grateful for that. And for all the people like who walked ahead of me and walked side by side with me to be a service. Um, And uh, I can't tell you what a gift it is to have a sober kid, um, who's not a kid anymore, but you know, to have a sober daughter and we have a really great connection. That's like, we can, I don't know, it's based on recovery and, um, that is quite a gift. And my, my older daughter who is not sober, um, I get to have a different kind of relationship with her, but we're really close in a very different way. Um, that last thing that I wanted to share about is, um, in my 21st, 22nd year of recovery, it was really, really difficult. Um, we had a really nice friend in recovery. His name was Brad. He killed himself. It was really <laughs> shitty year. It was a really, really sad time. And, um, I felt like I had, um, my sponsors that I had for like 17 years, I, um, I just didn't really feel that we were connected, um, and I changed my sponsor. Becky and I have been friends for a really long time, and I didn't like Becky sometimes because she wanted me to get in touch with my feelings. She always wanted to talk about how I felt, and um, I think I skated a long time with my other sponsor for 17 years, not really connecting with how I felt. And so when my friend Brad killed himself and it was really rough, I felt like that was the time for me to get in touch with how I felt. And I asked um, Becky to sponsor me. And so she's been my sponsor now for, I don't know, I think we're going on four years or something. And that's been um, really, really helpful in my recovery. And I'm really grateful for you, Becky. I'm so glad that you're here and I love you. And uh, um, you know, I, the last like six, six years, I have been working in, um, I went back to school before I turned 50. I got my master's in social work and I worked in, um, the hospital and psych ward and detox for about six years and worked a lot with people, um, that wanted to kill themselves and in their life, um, either through drugs or alcohol or just, you know, other, Um, emotional health issues. And then I had this strange thing happen to me about four months ago. I got transitioned into a different area of work and I get to work in oncology. And it's been um, such a nice transition because I'm working with people who will do anything to live. And it's so different than working with alcoholics. And um, even though, um, you know, there's still like substance abuse issues, It's a real, um, I don't know, it's just a real breath of fresh air to work with people who will do anything to try to live. And, you know, I wish that we had some magical dust to give that to alcoholics, you know, because there's so many people out there that would do anything to live. And, you know, when we're in our disease, when I'm in my disease, um, that's not the road I'm going down. So I know it's just a day at a time, no matter what and i'm just really grateful to be here to be sober and thank you all for being here and sharing in my recovery and